how important it is that we listen closely, that we follow the directions. I purposely tried to trick you, and uh, it, it worked for a, a few of you, and uh, that just, again, impresses upon us the need to really bear down, to focus in, to follow uh, directions that are in front of us, and to pay close attention to them. Uh, all through our years of schooling, especially during the formative years, uh, down as low as, as preschool, and, and some of you did go to preschool, uh, uh, you're told to, to follow the leader, stay in line, no talking. I hear our teachers tell the kids that all the time when they bring a class out into the hallway. Be quiet, no talking, stay in line. Some of the kids uh, do that really well, and others just can't handle that. They just have too much to say. <laughs> and then there was the time in school, and, and this followed us all the way through school, when we were about to take a test. Keep your eyes on your own paper. Do not look at another person's paper. Follow the directions. Fix your eyes where they're supposed to be fixed, which is in front of you on your paper. Teachers would say, don't let me catch you looking at someone else's paper. When I was in grad school in seminary uh, to uh, earn some uh, extra money, our, our campus was adjacent to uh, American University. And when they were, were giving... Uh, uh, master's and doctoral examinations, uh, they offered the seminarians an opportunity to proctor those exams. And uh, Rodney, did you ever do that when we were there? Well, I did. Uh, uh, he was richer than I was. <laughs> so anyway, I, I proctored those, those exams. Now, that was, that was fairly easy because their setup there was there was only one person taking each exam. In other words, whatever your master's degree might be in or that you were going for, there was no one else in that room taking that exam. And if you were going for a PhD, you were the only one taking that particular exam. So it was impossible for you to cheat unless you brought something into the room with you to, to cheat with. And, and we were charged with making sure that everyone followed the directions and stayed honest. And then something else that you probably remember about where to keep your eyes. When you were learning to drive, remember how your, your instructor, maybe it was your parent or maybe it was a, a, a driver trainer, uh, training instruction, instructor at your school, uh, watched you and said, don't be looking at the end of the hood. Look down the road. Look, take the long view, look down the road. Don't try to drive a car by looking at the end of the hood. Fix your eyes out ahead. Now, having used those examples and reminded you of Simon Says, I want to take you now into the two verses of Scripture this morning that uh, I want to speak about. They're from Hebrews chapter 12. Follow along as you hear these great words. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author 
and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I believe that that scripture is a classical passage, and I consider it critical for Christian living. In just those two verses is stated an enduring standard for self-discipline, which we as believers, as followers of the Christ of God, must pay close attention to. Regardless of our age, discipline is a very important practice. Now, discipline is a word that, regardless of our age, chafes many people. It's not a word that a lot of people like to, uh, like to hear. It's not a word of, of our choosing. And yet, when you do a word study, isn't who we want to be disciple very closely related to discipline. And of course, it is. You know, there are Christians who want a Savior. In fact, it's probably safe to say every Christian wants a Savior. But it's also just as safe and correct to say not every Christian wants a Lord. We want Jesus, the Savior, to rescue us, to save us from that which might destroy us or take away our lives. But to have him as Lord, the one in charge, the one from whom we take direction, the one from whom we receive our cues for living, that's, that's another matter. Because when you speak of Lord, we all know that it's with a capital L, And it means that he expects us to follow him, to follow his ways. And if we are diverted from that, it means a plan other than his has been accepted by us. If we are diverted from following Jesus, then it means a plan other than his has been accepted by you and me. I remember uh, as a a youth uh, being... uh, being taught in in summer church camp the significance of the lordship of Christ and and the impact that that means on our lives and and one of the one of the phrases that that was used during that camp has has remained with me across the years if you don't bear the cross you can't wear the crown if you don't bear the cross you can't wear the crown I like what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian Christians about that. We find this word that I'm remembering in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. Here it is. Therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Not a great verse. Therefore also we have as our ambition to be pleasing to him. Is that your ambition? Is that your desire? Is that your goal and fixed purpose 
in life to be pleasing to Jesus Christ. You see, Christians focus on Jesus only. We set our minds on what he wants. We search for that, what he wants. We search for that when we're reading his word. And then we focus on what he wants and we do it because he is our Lord. We fix our eyes on Jesus so that the work of our hands, listen closely to this, we fix our eyes on Jesus so that the work of our hands does not become idols we worship. We maintain clear focus and protect against our property and possessions requiring maintenance at a level that causes us to neglect relationship with Jesus Christ. The author of the letter to the Hebrews reminded them in chapter 11 of the believers who came before them. Hebrews chapter 11 is a magnificent gallery of persons of faith how they believed and how they lived out that faith in their lives. And, and the, the writer then in, in chapter 12 says, we are surrounded by that cloud of witnesses, by those who came before us who lived in this critical way with this absolute focus on the things of God and wanting to honor him and wanting to, uh, re- wanting to please him in all that they do. Here was a list, a long list in chapter 11 of persons whose life stories show a faith focus in everything they do. You see, the thing that we need to keep in mind is that the Christian, the Christian race begins when Jesus is accepted as Savior. It doesn't end there. That's the ready, set, go. That's the trigger on the starter's pistol being fired. The Christian's race begins when we accept Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. And we run toward him for full faith. Everything we do is toward him. The author of this letter says we're to lay aside every weight. What does he mean by that? What is that? Well, anything that is a self-centered orientation. Anything that is, is about you, which you make more important, a greater priority than Jesus Christ in your life. That's the weight that he is referring to. And a self-centered orientation, a selfishness, folks, it's like carrying extra pounds that we need to shed. It's too much weight. It bogs us down. We cannot, we cannot run. Things that that are our thoughts or activities that, that we consider more important than the honoring of God. In the Greek language, the language which was used to write this letter to the Hebrews, the word grace, 
or not grace, I'm sorry, the word race, the word race here in the text is agon. The Greek word for race is agon. Now again, I am not trying to impress you with my knowledge of Greek, but this is an important word to note. The word in the original text for race is agon. The English word is agony. Agony. What is that? Isn't that having a desire to quit when you're in agony? You don't feel like going on. Your body cries out to let up, to stop. Let's end this foolishness. That's what the word race here means. It's agon. Some of you are, are runners. I, I see you announcing to us on Facebook that you have, have registered for particular marathons and so forth. And that's, that's fine. Some of you are, are athletes and participate in various sports, especially those of you who are, are still in school. And that too is a, is, a, is a great thing for you to be part of. <clears throat> When I did those things, just like you, when it comes time for the race, I took off my sweatshirt and my sweatpants. And I say, well, what's so outstanding about that? Well, nothing except that that is exactly what this text is telling you. And some of you are living in your great interest for sports and running the truth of this text. And I want it to stick with you now, this morning, from now on. He says, you need to lay aside the weights. You don't run in your sweats. You don't play basketball in your sweats. You don't wrestle in your sweats. You take those off. And what do you do, folks? What do you do, kids? You expose yourselves to the elements. You expose yourself to all that's going on around you, but you press on because it's for the team. It's for the game. It's for the, the, for the culmination of, of all of this practice that we have put in. And what do you do after you take off those sweats and you are involved in the run? I know what you do. I've done it also. You push through the cramps. You push through them. You go the distance through the the grueling grind of the contest or the race, whatever it is. The agon, the agony is there, but we push it through because the end in sight is the goal of winning, of crossing the finish line first, of having the highest score of the teams that are in competition. That's the goal. The Christian must do the same. The Christian sets aside the weights. What are the weights that you're trying to to carry and be a Christian with at the same time? There are some things in our lives, my dear friends, that we must set down because that's why we are not making forward progress. That's why we're not 
moving closer to the goal. That's why at the beginning of this year, we don't feel any closer to Jesus than we felt at the beginning of 2017. We've gone through regular attendance at worship. We've attended Bible studies. We may even have had prayer times and retreats, but we don't feel any different at the beginning of 2018 than we did a year ago. It's because we're toting with us weight that we need to set down. It's an encumbrance. And that's what the author of this great letter was saying. We're trying to, to, to run this race with encumbrances, with weights. And the agon, the agony, is not just the difficulty and the challenge of being a Christian. We're adding to the agon by not setting down, by not separating from some of the things that are just too heavy, too weighty for us to carry. Faith-filled living requires the same kind of, of, a, of freeing ourselves from encumbrance that taking off the sweats before the game or the race involves. It involves pushing through the, the times of, of cramps and the grueling, difficult times and keeping our eyes on the goal which is Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. We fix our eyes on him. And then, then we move toward victory. This, this writer also said, Jesus is the author and the finisher of faith. And, and I just want to tell you what that means. It's such an important concept here in, in this, these two verses. Jesus is the author. What does an author do? An author originates. An author is the one who brings forth the new material. Jesus is the author of faith. He is the originator. He is the finisher. He is the perfecter. He is the one who carried to completion God's plan. And what Jesus knows this morning, he wants you to experience. Jesus knows the joy of accomplishing what he set out to do. The same as you Know the joy when you sink the basket, when you make the touchdown, when you get the hit, when you cross the finish line first. You feel a joy. You feel an exhilaration. Well, the joy that Jesus felt was the joy that he wants you to know. The joy that he felt was the completion of what God had given him to do, the Father's will. And Jesus, because he did that, Compare it to where you want to be on the, on the winner's stand or, or, or listed as the winners. Jesus this morning, Jesus this morning knows the joy of accomplishing what God wanted him to do. And because of that, he is exalted today and he is now in his position and place of power beside God the Father. And as you keep your eyes on your Savior, your Rescuer, and you follow him as Lord, you are on the winning track. What a great promise and possibility for victory for every one of us as Christians. I want to I end with a, with a prayer, as I typically do, the prayer that I'm going to pray this morning is a, is a song that was written uh, probably 
40 years ago, so it's relatively new in terms of, of Christian music. Uh, it's something really that Nancy would be good for us to maybe get out for the worship team to do and to teach the congregation. But as we go to prayer now, listen very carefully to these precious words and uh, make them your own. And if you really want to do that, I can certainly provide you uh, a copy of the words. Let's pray. Our dear Father, we dare to run with our eyes fixed on Jesus, following the footsteps of the one who's gone before us. We dare to run in the power of his spirit, called to be victors in a race already won, dare to run. Amen.